You're listening to Startup and Onward, an ongoing conversation with product sales and marketing leaders working to align teams and supercharge growth. Join us as we give you an insider's look into the real-world experience of leaders seeking the growth stage by empowering their teams to navigate the Bermuda Triangle of product, marketing, and sales. I'm your host, Josh Taylor. If you are truly committed to learning more about your customer, please you know, start listening be genuinely curious and as best you can stay in the problem space for as long as you can. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode. We had a great conversation with Sam Brenner, Chief Operating Officer of BoxCast. We have a great conversation diving into the details of how you can use your own customer data to supercharge the evolution of your own product and service to better meet the needs of your market. And not only how you can use that data, but how do you convince your team to have the permission or the boldness to explore ways to double down on the areas where you're truly succeeding and what that looks like as you walk it out. Sam, excited to have our conversation. Good to see you. Yeah, good to see you too. Absolutely. As a way of getting started, why don't you give us a brief background on who you are and your experience? Yeah, Sam Brenner, the current role, I guess by day. By day, I'm, the, <laughs> I'm proud to be the chief operating officer of BoxCast, which is a really interesting company. For 10 years, we describe it as a live streaming company, but in about a month or so, we will be more than that. I, I guess we can get into that a little later. But I've spent I've spent almost the last eight years helping build BoxCast from a, what was a small startup based here in Cleveland to now not a startup and a full-grown business that has just recently celebrated 10 years. So Chief Operating Officer at BoxCast, born and raised in Buffalo. I have a wonderful wife, a wonderful daughter. And as Josh and I were talking... Before the recording, a wonderful yet high maintenance quirky named Charlie. Yes, we have similar taste of peers in high maintenance like dogs. dogs, which is <laughs> seems masochistic. But. Yeah, our our border collie uh, Pepper is now six months old and still dealing with some of the struggles. So, and Charlie's five, and you're saying that those are not all been worked out. No, and and the, I think with Pepper and Charlie, because I've seen Pepper on video. I think their general cuteness lets them get away with everything. That's very true. That's very true. That's a, that's a conflict. It's the eyes. They bring you in. It's the eyes. And then you're locked, you're locked and loaded. So I am intrigued by what you said. So maybe we can start there, Sam. Live streaming company and possibly more. Yeah. Yeah, let's start there because it's, it's certainly top of mind for the team at BoxCats. I'll try not to be too long-winded and and boring with it, but I'll actually take you back to late summer of last year, early September. You know, we we were we were a business very thankfully, gratefully that benefited mightily from the pandemic. You know, live video business up until the pandemic, we were growing steadily. We thought we had a really good business on our hand, and then as of March, 2020, the business just exploded. And, you know, here's a product that we were convincing people they needed and was probably seen more like a luxury. 
in the early days and then all of a sudden became a necessity when everybody had to be home and couldn't be together. So in 2020, the company grows and, and explodes. We grow, we triple our staff, our revenue goes through the roof, you know, it, the, the sky's the limit and we're on a rocket ship. 2021 is, a, I guess 2020 is a tough act to follow. So that makes 2021 always difficult. You're not going to grow the way you did in 2020. And we knew that. But it's hard to walk away from that trajectory, (laughs) even if it was unplanned. The rocket ship is hard to like talk yourself down and say, well, we're probably going to have more modest growth. Yeah, that's right. And I think Monday morning quarterback here and what we see much more clearly now is what's even more difficult is imagining a future beyond your present. Hmm. So the the i guess the right thing to have done during our highest point of growth was to say okay what's next what is the world going to look like in 3 years what's the what are the markets that we're playing in and what are those customers going to be doing what are they going to be wanting what's going to be true in 5 years and how are we set up to meet that that's a and i say it's a difficult thing because at least in our case, we're so caught up in the here and now. We're trying to catch up. We're trying to match this sudden demand and sustained demand over time. We weren't having the proper kind of strategic discussions. We didn't have the operating rhythm down to say, okay, every six to nine months, let's be asking these future-related questions. We were in the here and now, and that's that's not a bad thing. I mean, we had to we had to quickly pivot the business and adjust. And I think we did as best a job we could at the time, given the tools and resources we had. But when you look two years out from that, back to where we are in the story is 2022, you sort of pop your head up and you go, okay, this is, things have changed. Things are not the way they were when we were in this high demand, robust period. So then you almost have to quickly adjust and say, okay, what we should have been doing all along, we have to do now. We have to do yesterday sort of a thing. So, but that's not a, you, that's not a, a uniform realization throughout the organization that things have changed, right? Somebody had to at least have that initial aha moment. And how do you bring that to the team when the frenetic pace of the current business is sucking everybody's energy, sucking everybody's attention? Such a good question. I I think this is a key responsibility of leadership, or at least starting with leadership. There's a colleague of mine, shout out to Ron Hopper, if you do listen to this. Uh, He's a co-founder at the company. Uh, Ron is a high-level thinker, a strategic thinker, regardless of the role he's in 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 the organization. And he came up with a an observation that really there's three languages within our organization. There's a few people, just a few people who really operate on more of a a strategic, they're speaking a strategic language. They are thinking three to five years out. They're making chess moves, almost hovering above the business. There's an outcomes-based language within the organization with which many of our department leaders and our managers are thinking about And then maybe the most predominant language in the organization is more of an activities and task-based language. So my initial reaction to your question was, well, so few were thinking this way because 
frankly, they, they, they didn't have to, nor were we asking them to, right? So it it's, it's not their native to, language. <laughs> it's not their native language. And so the, yeah. so it's not that many people weren't meeting expectations. It was more a look in the mirror as a reflection, as, as a leader in the organization, I, I, we felt myself and the CEO, we felt a responsibility to start having these conversations. And it started with a small group. You know, we have an executive leadership team of eight people. It's made up of the CEO, myself, and six department heads, essentially, six department leaders. And we went through what I think is a great exercise. And the exercise really started with what do we believe will be true? And you choose your time frame. You know, we chose two to three years, but you can, you know, if you're into five to 10 year planning, do the same thing. But it may seem giving like yourself permission question. to think about the future. 100%. Yeah. And, and, and one person's opinion, I believe really great leaders have the balance down of being able to have one foot in the present. You, you have to push for strong operation in the current business. You cannot ignore that while also having your other foot in the future, thinking about what's around the corner, imagining and, and dreaming and wondering and pulling on threads and mostly thinking about how is our business positioned to succeed in the future. It's, it's not just saying something like, oh, AI is going to be extremely disruptive to the future. Or back in the day, it would have been, you know, social media marketing. That seems like it's going to be a thing. It's then how is your business going to adapt and react to that? And how are we going to position the company to make sure that we can leverage it versus be afraid of it? The second question we asked ourselves was, what's the game that we're currently playing? And is there a different game we want to play? Now that might seem a little bit like, what do you mean by game? For us, it was like, we're currently we're in the game of, we're sort of a, at that time we were a Swiss army knife. Like we provide live streaming for basically every market. One of the most important insights we came away with though, was that since 2020, so much had changed in that space where every one of our competitors had sort of chosen a market. They had said, we're, we're going to focus, not just the organization, but we're going to build product and we're going to make sure our go-to-market, we're going to make sure our messaging and positioning is most effective for small to medium-sized businesses or houses of worship or whatever the case was. When we looked around, we were the only one. So that insight then bore a little bit more, there, were, there was a lot more curiosity and I would say research that was born out of that particular insight, or at least that thread we wanted to pull on more. And around this time, I became inspired by the story of a company called Brooks Running. I don't know if, are, are you familiar with? I'm not, no. Let Uncle Sam tell a little story. <laughs> please, please. This is a, and, and I, and I say this because the team at BoxCast is very familiar with this because we, we told this story and we continue to reference the story and we, we use this as, as a bit of inspiration. So it's always important to have legends in front of your team, even if they're yes. real stories to have them as kind of a North star to say, Hey, this is why we're going in this direction. 
Yes. And I would, I would, I know there's going to be a question, I think, toward the end about books, but anybody who wants to go further into this story, definitely read Jim Weber, who is the CEO of Brooks, is a book called Running With Purpose. It's a excellent book. You can find Jim on a lot of different podcasts too. It might be easier if you're more into that. But anyways, so Brooks running, you know, let's go all the way back to early 2000. It was almost a hundred year old business at that time. So longstanding business. Brooks at that time was a sports apparel, sports gear, athletic gear brand. So they're selling football cleats and soccer cleats and soccer shorts and running shoes. And they're selling you know $25 shoes that you wear while you barbecue. And like, it's all over the map. They are then competing with Nike, Adidas, Puma, like name the, the massive brands that are much bigger in that space. Unfortunately, although the story gets better, they were something like 30 to $40 million in debt they had gone through three different CEOs in a year and a half. The board was meeting once a month because the bank said no more loans. Like this business was on the brink, basically. One of their board members, who then becomes their CEO, Jim Weber, he volunteers to become CEO, or somebody's like, Jim, you should run this business. The most important decision he makes, and, and he would say this, the most important decision he makes is he looks at the entire business, he sort of does a quick audit. And he says, you know what? Brooks is not going to be football and basketball and soccer and blah, 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 blah. We are going to transform into a performance running brand. And we are going to aspire to be the strongest, the best, the most well-known performance running brand in the industry. Performance running is this big of a market. We currently have some products that meet it. But in order to do this, and performance running to him means that this is not like me and you who might run every once in a while and almost die. These are people who are running 15 to 20 miles a week. They might sign up for a half marathon or a full marathon all the way up to professional runners. So that means shoes are going to cost anywhere between $100 and $160 a pair and be specifically made for runners. He makes this distinction and this decision which then cascades down to, we are going to sell off all non-performance running inventory. We are going to have to break relationships with retailers and distributors that don't meet this particular blah, 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 blah. Basically chooses this target customer and this, this, in this target market and goes full bore. Brooks today, for anybody who enjoys Brooks, Brooks is a billion dollar revenue company. They were purchased by Berkshire Hathaway about six or seven years ago. They still, to this day, Warren Buffett would say, is one of the best businesses in their portfolio. They are an extremely successful company. And beyond that, in that performance running community, they and their products are known to be premium, the top of the top. So this is an amazing business transformation story that was all about focusing on a customer focusing on a market, rallying the entire team, pushing a brick wall and saying, if we can execute, if we can do this right, we can change from a business that's on the brink to a business that is succeeding and exceeding expectations. I'm always curious as to where the germination of some of those inspirations come from. So did you or someone on your team 
hear that story, know that story, and bring it to the table as almost a validation of, hey, we need to be doing this. We're heading in the right direction. Or is it more of like a spark of you heard that story or somebody shared that story and it was like, oh my God, we need to be doing this. We need to, we need to be at least making sure that we should either be doing this or not doing this. But yeah, my answer to this is going to be a a plug for what I think is is important, not just for leaders, but for anybody who takes their career seriously. I am a big believer in remaining curious and being a continuous learner. And when I hear about a business that did make a pretty big pivot, but they did it mostly around a market and an ideal customer, it was thankfully right around the time that I was starting to question is it right for us to serve six markets and really keep pounding our head against that? Or should we look at who our ideal customer is, what market or what game we want to play in, and then ask the question in that market, what's going to be true in three to five years? Earlier, I had said, hey, how do you, you know, avoid becoming that knee-jerk reaction, right? But when sometimes you raise the idea you're the one suggesting, hey, maybe we should be missing it. You run the risk of being seen as that reactionary leader. Oh, Sam's listening to another podcast. Sam's reading another book. You know, here he comes with another idea. And you're like, no, 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 no. This is exactly what we need to be exploring. Like, how do you get the troops to truly evaluate? And you're essentially asking them, hey, let's look in the mirror and start to point the finger at ourselves and say, are we in the right space? Yeah, I agree. And I don't mean to be repetitive, but let's call, you know, when we, when we first started this conversation, I talked about 2020 being wonderful and yet almost like a hot stove. Like we had touched the hot stove and I'm never going back to that. Meaning I'm never, I never want to put the business that I'm working with in a position where we just assume what got us here is going to get us there. Basically resting on the like, oh, wasn't that great? And not thinking about, and I I mean this now, like the commitment to think about the future and to be, like I said, one foot. You cannot ignore your current business and you should always be looking to improve that and optimize that and understand it and meet the needs of the business. But for whatever reason, Josh, and I think it was a once in a century type of event. And, I'm, and I want to be very clear. I'm not trying to make an excuse or anything like that. But for whatever reason, we stopped the practice of thinking about what's going to be true, what the world's going to look like, what our customers going to need, what's the game we're going to play in. If we're going to play that game, what do we need that we currently don't have? What do we need to improve? Like... You know, one of our board members who I have an enormous amount of respect for calls it company B. He always asks us the question, like, what's company B going to be? Because company A in his mind is the current business. Are you spending enough time thinking about in as much detail as possible what company B is going to be? So I guess my answer to that is and is company stop that practice. Is company B an alternative or it's just like an alternate future of what you could be exploring or is it a contingency or how, how would you explain to somebody about what company B is? I think <laughs> the way he would, the way he would define it is the, what the future of your business is. That's your company B. That's your, mm. 
and, and sometimes it's dramatic and sometimes it's not. It's not always going to be a Brooks type pivot or shift, but you know, you, I mean, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir. No business should be stagnant. No business should look exactly the way that it did 10 years ago. You just can't, you know, I, I, again, back to the wall street journal readings. It's like, it is fascinating to watch Salesforce try and shift what was a playbook for many years, which was let's acquire businesses and grow through acquisition. And now given times that are somewhat unique, they can't run that playbook anymore. They can't spend and continue to try and justify their spending. I'm watching Mark Benioff say things like, we're being very conservative. We're watching our spend. We're placing our chips more carefully. That's not something he was doing yeah. five, 10 years ago, yeah. right? Uh, and you you just see this, you know, I Bob Iger is one of my all-time favorite business leaders ever. And, and you know, we're recording this, in June of, of 2023. So I, I won't speak to Bob's second attempt, but man, his first attempt as CEO of Disney, he, he did what I think few were actually able to do, which he was thinking about Disney in the future. How do I set up Disney as a media company? And that meant fixing their animation and purchasing Pixar it meant having the forethought to say, you know, what's going to be at the heart of our growth is content and IP that people want. So I'm going to have to go, I'm going to have to invest. I'm going to have to go get it. And then with all that content, I'm going to compete in the streaming space, in the on-demand content space. That To have that sort of forethought, to see this, both the technology coming and more importantly, the behavior of the consumer coming, this, you know, Disney, obviously one of the, one of the biggest global brands, but there is a lesson to be learned there, even from, for startups and small businesses, which Bob does a, a, a great job thinking about almost like you would a political campaign. Like what is the, what's it going to be like during your four to eight years of being a president? Think about that as a, as a business leader and a business owner, or even a team leader, like having that forethought, because you have to think about where's the, where do you want the country to go or whatever the governing state you're thinking about. Right. And that's what he did. He marched into a boardroom and he said, here are the three to four strategic pillars that need to be addressed at Disney, but here's how they all connect to what the future should be like for Disney. So and I'm envisioning, on it. I'm envisioning your Bob Iger moment. So you come in, you have this Brooks, Revelation, in, like, listen, guys, let's buy Lucas Films. Yeah, yeah. Like, what is going on? Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. did mention that there was a thread that you were pulling on. You had this hunch that the different markets you're serving really do represent unique personas, and there's not really an overlap where you're just going to have maybe a unique selling channel for those different audiences. The product itself has to in some way respond to certain needs that really don't overlap in some ways. Maybe I'm speaking and putting words in your mouth, but how did you pull on that thread and get the team to really see that the data wasn't just something that you were seeing, but it's objectively an opportunity that everybody can start to see? Yeah, it's... I was I probably didn't do enough justice to the quantitative side of this or the, the indicator side of this. The reason I even wanted to go looking for threads 
is because the business had been declining comparative to its height of growth. So I'm looking at typical metrics that any business leader would look at. I'm seeing not just a decline in recurring revenue. I'm seeing, I'm trying to look per market Mm. and I'm trying to listen to customers and get a sense of, okay, on a monthly basis or a quarterly basis, what seems to be the mix of customers who are purchasing us. I'm talking to our head of sales and customer success saying, why are people attributing? Why are people leaving us? You, you, you do look at the information that's coming in. I would never, I, I don't want anybody to be like, I had a hunch. <laughs> you know, like, right, like, right. Hmm. But when you see that information, I think what's key is what you do next. So you, you can consume all this information, again, back to these inputs. And I think going in with the curiosity rather than going, huh, like, I wonder if things have just changed. I want to know not just why that's happening, but what can we do to not continue this trend? So that is when thinking through, so, so now there's this thread and I'm also, I've always got my head on a swivel. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing competition in all these markets. Yeah. I'm seeing what they're doing and I don't want to copy them. I want to react though, right? Cause our customers are reacting to that. So I'm pulling on this thread and somewhere along early on in the strategic conversation, when, when we have the conversation about what game are you playing, you do have to address the, the, what, what market and what segment of the market are you actually in a Brooks type way? Like who's our performance runner? Yeah. And that you do not make just off the cuff, like go down a hunch sort of a situation. I made a decision that I wanted to, based on data, I wanted to go see who our ICP was, who is our ideal customer, not who do we want it to be. It's who has it been. So I pull, you know, we use HubSpot as our CRM. I'm not getting paid by HubSpot. I'm just telling you what system we use. (laughs) So I go into our closed one data over the last two years. So from October 1st of 2020 to October 1st of 2022. And with no, like, I I don't even go within like a hypothesis or anything like that. I I just want to see the data and put it into a pivot table. And it's closed one deals all through our direct pipeline. So I'm not as interested in, or I'm not looking yet at how many people have upgraded or what have our partners done. I'm trying to see like, who came to the business and bought the solution that we currently have over the last two years. And you're looking for that spark in that period of time where you saw a dramatic increase, right? So it's like, what is the common thread in this pile of data from this anomaly? Right. Well, I was trying to, I probably didn't do the best job. I, I, I tried to take the height, height of COVID out of it. Okay. So I was not looking at data between March 1st and October 1st. We had, we had more COVID tail than, than past October. I, I just, I wanted two years. I, I was trying to make it clean, sure. not see the spike outlier, but what jumped off the spreadsheet was very clear to me. And the data showed me that over 70% of those deals came from the house of worship space. 70% synagogues, more than wow. 70%. Right. Not only that, when you dig into it further, it was 
again, it was, and numbers escape me a little bit, but it was more than 80% identified as churches versus some other faith-based organization or, or house of worship. And we see that delineation in our data. And then 93% were in the United States. And there's more data you get from it. Like what plans do they all start on? More than 70% of them started on our lowest plan. More than almost 80% of them sold through an account executive. We have a self-service pipeline and we have a, hey, go through a salesperson. And this particular type of customer over the last two years was saying, we'd rather talk to somebody first. While we're having this future strategy conversation, I come to our CEO and the other leaders of the, of the company and I said, look, this is who our ICP is. You know, th- this, and by the way, this represents thousands of our customers. This represents 80% of our customer base today. So it wasn't just sales in that window. We're talking about the no. actual book of business. The actual book of business, Right. It's not to say anything about the other markets we were serving, but clearly who was currently interested in BoxCast were houses of worship based in the United States of a certain size. Yeah, go ahead. When you share that data, were there anybody in the team that was like, well, yeah, I see what you're saying, Sam, but we just haven't gotten traction in this market, but we're close. We're, we're close. We're just like, was somebody making the argument that, Yes, the data says that, but the data somehow isn't telling the full picture. Oddly enough, or maybe it, no. Okay. In fact, it, it was a it was a real point of clarity and a defendable justification. I, I think, and I don't want to speak for anybody but myself. My guess is there had been a hesitation for the seven or eight years that the business had been going on up until this point to take your dart and put it somewhere specific Hmm. because, and, and our CEO has a high amount of self-awareness. He is a great man through and through, but much like many founders, he likes to preserve optionality. Of course. Right. right? This is a, don't cut yourself off. (laughs) Don't cut yourself off. And in fact, I would say it was a positive trait that helped the business in the earliest days. I mean, he tells stories about the first use case of the business versus the conferences they were going to early on. And when they finally sort of circled around a couple markets, like you have to have optionality, you have to be flexible, but things have changed, right? And I was trying not to let my learnings about Brooks influence too much, right? but what I was doing was combining like, Hey, if all of our competitors are trying to focus and then you've got external examples like Brooks and some others that are, that's the thread we should pull on. And it, it wouldn't take a, a business genius to then go, man, wouldn't, wouldn't it be a little easier throughout various parts of the organization, right? If, if product was focusing on a singular customer, they could make choices as to what features they improve or what products 100%. they build. Or, 
And it makes their it makes product board a lot clearer than when you're you're trying you're like well it makes everything easier it makes it makes the sales process easier makes the product roadmap easier you can iterate faster you can even train and onboard people faster because you really don't need to teach them a number of different industries you really need to teach them one vertical and then that's right they're getting in there and I I find it interesting when I when I started onward. I was asking a bunch of different leaders that started different consulting agencies and just people that I value that have built 20 year plus businesses. So they've definitely succeeded. And the one common thread I always heard was when I asked them what they would do differently, if they were to go back in time, they said, without question, I would consolidate. I would focus. I wouldn't be so broad, which is fascinating for me to hear because you're looking at a business that has 20 plus years of traction. And they, in this moment of candor, the one thing they're saying is I would do less. I would focus. And I'm like, okay, well, I I can't ignore (laughs) this consistent feedback. There's there's something here when the temptation is, I got to keep all my options open, but you fail to realize that there's no possible way you can be as strong, as smart, as prepared, as much of the true value provider that your end customer really needs you to be if you're trying to do that in so many different verticals. The ones that can achieve what you just described, you have to have serious scale to do it. And even then, they're making trade-off decisions and focus decisions. Another leader that I highly admire and I have tried to model certain styles of my leadership is Jeff Weiner, who is the former CEO of LinkedIn still executive chairman, Jeff says it very simply, fewer things done well. When he came into LinkedIn, if anybody knows this story too, remember he's taking over LinkedIn as CEO. He was the entrepreneur in residence. LinkedIn was 350 some people being run and grown quickly by Reed Hoffman. Jeff comes in, Jeff's got his own career at Yahoo and other places he comes in and he is attracted to the culture there. He believes in the products. He has a very strong relationship with co-founder Reed. But within days, he goes, guys, we've got so many bets. We've got so many irons in the fire. No more. And we are going to articulate our focus at the vision level, at the mission level, at the values level. At the target customer level, we are going to go through that exercise. Whether we roll our eyes and be tired about it, we're not going to succeed what we want to succeed if we do not focus, if we do not do fewer things very well. And Jeff is responsible from taking LinkedIn from 350 people to whatever it is now, a massive, I mean, clearly the number one business social media platform in the world doing less more. And I think at the early stages in LinkedIn, it was very clear that they were, they had something, but they were struggling to figure out they were searching. what it really was going to be. And I think in the social media space, they have done a better job than I would say most have of saying, this is what we are and this is what we're not. And we're going to train the algorithms that we operate on to empower what we are and protect us from what we're not and protect us from becoming something that we don't want to be, which I think is really, really valuable. Back to box, box cast though. You guys yeah. pull on the thread, you take a look mm-hmm. at the data 
And you kind of tipped your hand to this at the beginning of our conversation that this is kind of leading to a shift for BoxCast. Are you able to describe what that is and what the end result of this journey you've been on? So basically, this all culminates. We have we we typically have two all hands a year. We have this all hands in December of 2022. And remember, the leadership team had been working on the strategic direction of the business for effectively three months. And again, Jeff is Jeff Weiner took a lot of inspiration. I thought what we needed was not just to come out and say, "Here's our I here's our target customer." We needed to top to bottom update and re envision the organization and then communicate that properly. So we come to that all hands, myself and the CEO, and we say, here is the future, the ideal future that we might not even come to realize, but the vision of the organization is this simple few words. Our vision had not been updated, not been looked at. This vision of a world where people are no longer separated by distance. That's the vision statement, a compelling ideal future. Then we say the mission of this organization now is, and we give the mission statement and that mission statement then tips the hat to the customer that we're going to focus on. And it's the first time we told the organization, we are not just a live streaming company. We are going to be a multi-product church engagement platform. So 10 years, we have built encoders and software and so many things that thousands of organizations around the world love. But if we're going to serve houses of worship, if we're going to serve the church, which is now, and we said this to the company, this is our target customer, realize within a church, within a faith-based organization, they have tools that they're using. And live streaming is like this part of it. They have CRMs or church management systems. They have web, they, they have websites, right? They are using email marketing to reach out to people. They have SMS text messaging. They have mobile apps and OTT. I mean, you look just at a church and you say, oh my goodness, there's so much technology and software being used in here. How do we go deeper into those? And it would require us to not continue just building and releasing live streaming. So then we say, what's next? And in a multi-product platform that we're trying to build, you know, in about a month or so, I'm very happy to say we're coming out with a website, an integrated website builder product. So now you've awesome. got this, again, live streaming company. Which makes sense. Yeah. It's an extension of the product space that you're currently in. It's not too far of a leap and extra stretch. An engagement so, tool. Yeah. Every one of our customers whether you're a church or not, typically have a .com slash live or .com slash stream. And our players always just existed there. But one of the things when you talk to churches, one of the things you hear over and over again is they're like, well, we don't have a, we don't have a web designer and I've got this WordPress site that like, I'm not really happy with, or yeah, we're on Squarespace or we're on Wix or whatever. And then they'll tell you that their website doesn't speak to their giving platform and their giving platforms different than their live streaming platform. And now you start to paint this picture of like, Oh my goodness, these organizations, they're like Frankenstein. They've got all these different tools they're paying for, but few are seamlessly integrated with each other, which effectively 
when we're talking about a Bonnie or a Melanie or a Cody or any one of these customers who we spoke to, do you know what ends up happening? They do a bunch of extra work. They're, right. you know, yeah. they're, they're inputting data three or four times and they have to learn three to four to six to seven to eight disparate systems. So for us, it goes beyond just the products we're going to build. We, if we're going to have this opportunity to be multi-product, we are going to listen to our customers and say, it is going to be a seamless experience from sign-in all the way through. These products are going to make sense together so that you can rely on BoxCast tomorrow to be the kind of thing where you log in and where you're giving platform, where, where you host your website, where your live streaming provider, and on and on and on down the roadmap. It's so much clearer now what we need to do. That is huge. And we're, you know, it's June, so we're six months in. And I mean, to be able to spin up a website product in that amount of time, to shift the marketing team to solely focus on this customer too, was something we didn't even get to, to, to then say, you know what? There's an energy behind it. Perspective. Oh, there, there's an energy there's a clarity. There's something you could hold on to. Do you think, Sam, that that comes from you breaking the team out of the four walls of the company and going and pushing them to interactions with the customer so that they can see firsthand what is the world that the customer lives in? What are their frustrations? Aside from our product, like what is their life like? What is their job like? Because I feel like until you make that connection, it's hard to stoke that kind of an energy inside of the company. Yeah. And you, you, at least in our case, one of, one of the communication learnings that I've had as the leader that seems to fit with our group, it may not fit with every group is the more transparent, but maybe accessible that I can be as a communicator. And that typically comes down to be the first to admit when something isn't right, when you got something wrong, be able to tell it how it is. Do not sugarcoat so much that you cross the line of not being believable. So to your question, you know, we lay out everything. We call it a vision to values, right? Everything now is focused the way we wanted it to. But it, you know, we have four strategies in the organization and the second strategy was an admission. It was based from an admission. We said, we need to know, if we're going to focus on the church customer, we need to know that customer. We need to know their purpose. We need to know them at a deeper level. If you're going to serve them, if you're going to focus on them for the yeah. next five, six, whatever years, can't we all look around and say, it's not that we don't listen to our customers. It's not about listening. Do we understand them at the deepest level? And mm -hmm. so that kicked off a customer centricity intensive that we've run two cohorts through, which effectively is you get seven, eight, nine individuals in the organization. It has to be a diverse group. So you can have one or two marketers, one salesperson, a developer, a department leader, somebody in finance, right? They're going to get together. They're going to dedicate three to four weeks in the first week, you're going to teach them how to do active listening. You're going to teach them how to stay in the problem space and not jump to solutions right away and be too reactive. You're going to ask them good interview questions. You know, what are good questions to actually get to someone's purpose and their, their deeper problem? So you run them through that. 
your second week is spent 40 hours basically with customers. You are, and it's exhausting. It's, it's Monday through Friday, you're talking to two to three customers a day, long form conversation, plus you're doing analysis and debriefing after. And you're writing down, it seems like hundreds of insights, right? Because you've got eight or nine people in the cohort. They all heard slightly different things, blah, 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 blah. Your third week is in in that data and insight analysis. And so you're you're running summary, you're writing summaries of what you heard, and you're getting into a mural board and you're trying to piece this all together. And your fourth week, which I feel is very important if you're going to democratize these insights and this information, is you're building presentations to go back to your team, to go back to your home and say, here's the three things that are going on with our customer. Here's who I spoke to. Here's the da 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 da. So you're not keeping it in this like, oh, this is only for the cohort or this is only for our user researcher team or, you know, whatever the case is, it's only for UX. Yeah, no, it's for everybody. Every single person. It's for everybody. And if you can top that with consistent, repetitive executive air cover, when, when I am on a Zoom call with the organization and I'm like, and I go through the intensive, I'm like, hey, I just, I just dedicated four weeks of my time, which I don't have. I just dedicated four weeks of my time to go through this. Getting to know our customer is one of the most important things we can do before we go out and serve them content and products and the right go to market. Like you have to keep repeating that and reminding the organization how important it is. And this intensive now, even within Boxcast, has shifted to be we can run, we can always run an intensive like project. But now we're down to the team level customer based action plans that fit each person's role because our head of accounts payable is going to have a different customer insight need than our account executive or, you know, one of our product owners or whatever the case is. So taking the learnings from the intensive, running that in parallel, and then saying, no, 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 this isn't just about whether or not you've gone through an intensive or whether or not you've done a become the user challenge this is about within your specific team, what are customer-centric changes you want to make, actions that you can take on a regular basis and still be fed these insights through these various programs that we have within the organization. That is how we think, if we're committing properly, that's how you build or rebuild a, a culture of customer centricity. Sam, if you were to give any advice to someone who's a leader, whether that's in the product, marketing sales space, what would you say that a leader should either start doing or stop doing to start building the same type of insight that you guys have stumbled across at BoxCast? Start and remain being curious. You know, curiosity, even as we're talking about the customer, if you're coming into customer conversations with genuine curiosity, you are there to listen and learn. You are not there to validate your own assumption or to get the customer to agree with something you think. So when you're, when you're truly trying to, and that can be applied by the way, not just to customers, it's how I approach relationships with teammates. You know, I spend time all the time because they're a major stakeholder in the business in skip levels with employees, I'm, I ask three or four questions and I'm there to listen and to understand 
and to learn. I'm not there to have them to try and ask them a question that gets them to an answer that I want. So as a leader, if you are truly committed to learning more about your customer, please you know, start listening, be genuinely curious, and as best you can, stay in the problem space for as long as you can. You will eventually get to a point where you can get into the solution space. But many of us, especially those in product, I think naturally we want to, like the minute we hear something in a customer interview, we're like, you know what we could do is we could build a button. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, that's so key. Just wait, listen, probe deeper. A little more, probe deeper. You know, ask the question, how did that make you feel? You know, when, when you were... When yeah, you were good. about to go live and you couldn't find this thing, how did that make you feel? And the person will tell you, I felt stressed. I felt frustrated. I felt like I was going to let people down. Get to that more. That's good. Well, Sam, this is a great conversation. Last question. And this is probably the easiest thing for you to answer. But what are you currently listening to? What are you currently reading right now? So I, I fluctuate between a bunch of different podcasts. I've been a long time listener of the Tim Ferriss show. There's a, for, for those of you who are either current leaders or aspiring leaders, there's a podcast by David Novak, who used to be the CEO of Yum Brands called How Leaders Lead. It's a great podcast. Oh, geez. What else is on there? What's on your, what's on your book list for this year? Oh, so I'm currently, uh, I'll give you, I'll give you three here. Next to my bed, I have the book, The Daily Stoic, which is a book by Ryan Holiday. It's for, for anybody who's interested in that, it, it, every pay, it's a page per day. You know, it's like a little, little nugget every day. So I try and before bed, I try and read at least one of those. Or if I'm behind, I'll read a couple. That's, that's been helpful. I'm currently maybe 100 pages into Grit by Angela Duckworth. Awesome book. I finished recently, which I highly recommend. This is a book that I don't think is as well known, but there's a book called The Comfort Crisis by Michael Easter. I, can't, I won't do it justice in summary, but if you're if you're looking for it's a nonfiction book, but it is not a business book in any way, shape, or form. Go read The Comfort Crisis. It was pretty eye-opening to me. And it's a it's a book. Sometimes I look at what books do I gift as ways to see like if I really liked it. And I immediately gifted this book to my younger brother, Steve, and suggested it to him. And he called me recently and was like, oh, yeah, I'm really, that one's really got me. So, wow. Okay. Great. Uh, I've never heard yeah. of that. Grit, Daily Stoic, Comfort Crisis. There was the book that I actually ordered the book that you and Katie had suggested about hospitality that I'm not, I'm not there yet, but that'll blow your that's, mind. That's in the queue. Yeah. I'm really looking for unreasonable hospitality for those of you that are wondering. Yes. Yeah. There great, great book. Sam, thanks for the time. Always, always good to chat with you. I mean, I feel Thank like you, Josh, every time we connect, it's, it's great to hear what you guys are doing at Boxcast. It's very exciting. And I can't wait for the public announcements about what's coming next. So yeah. Boxcast sites, baby. Come in, come into a to a, a internet near you. Thank you, Josh. I appreciate it. it's great to talk with you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. This podcast is brought to you by Onward Insights. Onward empowers teams to uncover hidden bandwidth, deepen customer retention, improve user engagement, and drive conversations that lead to new revenue. 
Learn more at onwardinsights.com. Thank you.